0: Let me advise you: if you have a Bible, to turn to Judges chapter five, kind of a kind of the first third of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Before Ruth, uh, we're going to be looking at chapter five this morning. I'm not going to read chapter five; it's a long chapter. We're actually going to kind of uh, walk through it together without reading the entire text. But this morning, uh, we're beginning three weeks of uh, sermons that will revisit our commitment to the Fearless Initiative. You see the the, the uh, 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 picture on the screen. Uh, fearless is a two-year initiative that we began this time last year. Uh, and the goal of the Fearless Initiative was uh, to be free to live in radical generosity. And so uh, we're gonna come back to that for three weeks. But notice the name, Fearless. Now, I'd love to say that that describes my life. <laughs> I'd love to say that I just really can't think of anything that causes fear or causes angst in my own heart, uh, but that wouldn't be true. Uh, there are about, in our in our Kirkwood School District, there are about 28,000 families or individuals, uh, and lots of those people don't know Jesus. And I stay up at night worried about ways that we can share the gospel with others. And, and when I think about that number, even in our own community, that feels a bit, Overwhelming. I'm not sure how many services we'd have to have on Sunday to get 28,000 people in and out of here, but, but that would be a wonderful issue to, to deal with. But it's overwhelming to think about being a witness in our community for social justice, for true, genuine care of everyone in our community. That feels overwhelming to me. I think about the 280 children that we have in our ministry just between birth and, and, and grade school. That doesn't even count middle school and high school. And I think of uh, 280 lives that are coming here on a regular basis needing to hear about the love of God and the gospel of Jesus. And I don't spend time in our children's ministry, but that still feels overwhelming to me. I think about the spiritual nurture of 600-plus souls In our church. I think about all the people in St. Charles and our new church plant and the work that needs to be done there. I think about just trying to care for and serve and lead our staff and our elders. And overwhelmed is the word that comes to mind, not really fearless. (laughs) Hudson Taylor, who was the founder of Inland China Mission, or China Inland Mission, was a missionary to China in the 1800s. And uh, he had been in China for about 12 years when his health gave out and he was called back to England just to, to rest and recuperate. And he went through a time of severe depression. He went through a time of feeling emotionally overwhelmed. Fearless would not have been a word he would have chosen to describe himself. And, he's, and during that time, uh, he was just resting and getting good counsel from people. And one day he had a breakthrough. One day God uh, spoke to him in a way that, that encouraged and brightened his heart. And here's what he writes about that particular experience. There the Lord conquered my unbelief, and I surrendered myself to God for this service. I told him that all responsibility as to the issues and consequences must rest with him. That as his servant, it was mine to obey and follow him. I took great encouragement this week when I read that quote, because that's, that's the right way to look at it. As Hudson Taylor thought about how to reach the, the millions of people who lived in China, he felt completely overwhelmed and undone. And he had this intense inner conflict that led him to despair, but then he realized that he was actually just part of what God was doing, that God was doing the work, that God was the powerful one, that God was the redeemer, and Hudson Taylor's job was not to be God, Hudson Taylor's job was, he, he was not the Christ, but he was called, and to put it in his own words, to obey and to follow God. That's what fearless calls us to this morning. We've given you a little booklet in your, uh, in your bulletin this morning. Actually, it's not a little booklet. It's a really big booklet. We've given that to you to take home and look at because it describes kind of where we are as a, as a congregation in our dreams and our hopes, as well as in our financial needs. And that's why we're going to Judges chapter 5 this morning. Judges chapter 5 isn't, uh, isn't a passage of scripture about giving uh, in, the, in the technical sense of the word of, of giving uh, of, of our financial resources. It's really uh, a chapter about uh, celebrating what God has done and how he has used people who trusted him to save the nation of Israel from oppression. Uh, they had turned their backs on God, they had been invaded by, by a foreign power, and, and they were being oppressed in every sense of the word. And God raised up different judges, that's why the, the book is titled that, throughout uh, this portion of Israel's history, to save them. And one of the judges was named Deborah. And, judge, and Judges chapter 5 is entitled, the subtitle is The Song of Deborah. So it's after the fact, it's after the fact that, that God has saved his people Deborah's looking back at that experience, and she's giving praise to God. But as she gives praise to God, I would really encourage you this afternoon and this next week to take some time just to go back and read Judges chapter 5, because as she praises God, she also does so in a very down-to-earth, realistic way. She calls out some things that really needed to be celebrated, and she also calls some people on the rug who kind of sat idly by and weren't involved in trusting God. She asked some, and answered some very challenging questions. And as I read uh, Judges chapter 5, I felt more and more like this was uh, the proper context for us this morning. Not because we're necessarily being oppressed, not because we're necessarily in danger of, of, of a foreign invader, but I think our danger, the risk that we run, is complacency. Uh, we're in a wonderful new home, we're in a beautiful new place. Uh, and it would be easy for us to just kind of sit in and settle in and say, "Wow, now it's great. You know, now the work is done." I'm going to take a, just a very brief minute at the outset this morning to show you where we are financially, because I think it's important that you understand that. Uh, last year, when we began this fearless initiative, we set a goal of two years for our for our budget. Uh, our operations, everything that happens—missions, church planting, staff—all in that number is four point six million dollars a year, or two, for two years, or two point three million dollars for an, for one year. We also said we need to retire some debt. We owe about $5 million on this building. We, uh, we own more than we owe. We own about 5.6 of it, but we owe about another 5.1. And we wanted to aggressively pursue retiring debt. So our overall goal was $6.7 uh, million dollars. And if you look at the number that we had collected at the end of September, there's some really good news there. The really good news there is that the 2.3 million that we we need to operate this year and support our missionaries, uh, pull off vacation Bible school and all the other things, the ministries that go on, we're going to hit that number very easily this year. We're, we're in good shape with that. We're almost there by the end of September. And October, November, and December traditionally in churches tend to be when we give the most of our, of our resources. So we're in great shape operationally, but we're in, we're, we're in bad shape when it comes to long-term debt. We're not giving against that. Our generosity is not matching the need to retire long-term debt. And it's not just about retiring long-term debt, because I realize I might have just lost most of you. Right? Oh, wow, the exciting topic of long term debt. <laughs> Tell me more, right? right? And so you're going, this is why I don't go to church, because pastors are always asking for money, All right? It's not about retiring long term debt, it's about freeing up money to do other things. It's about freeing up our resources as fast as we possibly can, because the needs of this community far outweigh what we have the capacity to do today. And so if we, just, if we just hit that number, if we just were able to retire that 2.1 and have $3 million of long-term debt instead of five, that would free up in the coming years $150,000 a year to do ministry that we're not doing right now, supporting missionaries that we're not supporting right now. So I don't really care about debt. I do care about our, our ability to follow God in what he's doing. And I can promise you this, God wants to do more than, than we're doing right now. And that's not a, that's not a knock on green tree. Uh, there, there are so many wonderful, faithful disciples of Jesus in this congregation. But there's the opportunity for us to be able to make a deeper and a longer lasting impact. If we can begin to generously look at this notion of let's, let's stop giving the bank more money than we need to. And let's really begin to invest even more in life. So I think our danger this morning could be complacency. With that in mind, let me give you the sermon in a sentence because uh, we're going to jump into this and we're going to read verses as we go. We're not going to read all of them together this morning, but here's where we're headed. When God's people actively trust and follow him, their faith is challenged and and their world is changed. Now notice those words carefully. If you decide that you're going to trust and follow Jesus, if you're going to, to, to get in line with him and follow him, that's going to challenge your faith because there are going to be moments when you say, I'm not really sure this is the pathway, <laughs> then feel very safe. It doesn't necessarily feel very comfortable. I, I don't, I feel a bit out of sorts and, and I feel a bit vulnerable. That's right. That's what faith in Christ does is because those are the places that Jesus leads us. But if we go, if we follow, if we trust, we'll be challenged in ways that will also deepen our faith, and that, that will change our world. So that's what we want to see out of Judges chapter 5 this morning. Before we begin to read this passage, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Father, I thank you for the power of your eternal gospel that, ch- that changes lives forever. Father, I thank you for the new home we have. I thank you. It's amazing that we we own over half of this, Lord. I don't want anybody to to feel guilty right now in in a sense that um, we haven't uh, done what we should. Father, by your good grace, uh, you have brought us to this place. But Lord, we long for more opportunities to partner with you in the gospel. We long to be used by you to see people come to Christ, to see families restored to see those who, who are oppressed by injustice uh, live in a, in a different community because there are Christians that don't want to tolerate that type of nonsense, but rather want to stand in, in arm in arm and care for those who, who can't necessarily care for themselves. Father, we want to be used by you in the lives of the widow and the orphan. And in many ways we are, Lord, and we thank you for that. I thank you for the generosity of, of this congregation when I think about affordable Christmas. And, and I kind of look at what's left to, to get, but I think of everything that's already there. It's amazing. Well, Father, we want more of that. We want you to deepen our, our, our longing and our hearts for your generosity, that we could perhaps live radically fearless lives of generosity, that we would be transformed in that direction, Because we know as we trust and we follow you that that you change our hearts and our minds, but you also change the world as you work in us. Father, I pray that you would show us your word this morning. What I have to say is not important. Father, forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of what you want to teach us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give you six observations out of this text, and we'll, we'll move through hopefully in good order. Uh, the first thing I want us to see this morning is the model that Deborah celebrates. Deborah kind of has a paradigm here that she is celebrating as she starts off this song, and she says at the very beginning of verse 2, and then also in verse 9, she says that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Then in verse 9, she says, my heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people, and then she repeats that phrase, bless the Lord. Uh, There's an important paradigm here that we need to see and we need to understand, and I believe is applicable to us this morning. The first thing is this, that the leaders lead. So I'm going to talk to our elders for just a few minutes. There are several of them here this morning. And when I'm talking to our elders and I'm talking to myself as well, we're called to lead. We're not called to decide what everybody wants to hear and then say that. We're not called to follow along and and, and maybe kind of every once in a while say maybe it's this way or maybe it's that way. We are called to be people of prayer We are called to be people that humbly trust God and follow him and set within our lives an example for people to follow. We're called to be brave in God's power and in God's strength. We're called to humility. We're called to the servant heart of Jesus. And we're called to prayerfully point the way and to do that first, not to wait and to to hope that, that perhaps someone will come up with a good idea but we're to seek the mind of Christ and to follow that with all of our strength and with all of our heart. We need to be leaders that lead and that care. When that happens, when there's there's a vision of leadership, when people see an example of someone following Jesus in humility and in kindness and in grace and in compassion, whose heart is broken over the things that break Jesus' heart, who rejoice when, when there's time to rejoice at what God is doing, what happens? The people willingly offered themselves. Look at this carefully with me. They, they, this wasn't an arm-twisting kind of deal, right? This wasn't the leader saying, now all of you get in line and do what you're told to do. The people saw that there were, there were men and there were women in Israel that were standing up and saying, we're going to follow God, and they were drawn to that like moths to the flame. I believe that's true today. I believe when there are people who coalesce around the idea of the gospel that is much greater than themselves individually, but what they can do corporately is truly astounding by God's power. Others want to be part of that. So I want to call on our elders and myself that we would humbly and prayerfully lead, but also the second part of the model is that then people will willingly join in, that that all of us see ourselves as partners in the gospel. This is not something for everybody else, but not for me. This is not something that I really hope our church does. And I'll I'll really cheer when it happens, but, but I don't really have a part in that. That's not what Judges 5 says. Judges 5 says the people willingly gave themselves. They were following leadership that was strong, but they saw themselves as responsible for the work. And then what's the net result in this model? The Lord is praised, right? Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, it's said twice. And it's not, uh, remember, Deborah's looking back at what, hap- what has happened. She's not planning ahead. She's not saying, now we need to bless the Lord. It's simply the emotional reaction that comes out of her heart. She steps back and she sees what God has done through the people that he has called to be leaders and through the partners that join with them. And she says, praise God. Wouldn't it be great if, 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 if every time somebody thought of Green Tree, that's what they said? praise God. Not because we're smart people, not because we're great people, not because we got it all figured out, but because we're following Jesus practically in our lives on a daily basis. This is the model for us to follow. Because there is always, in every generation, a need, and that's my second observation. The nation of Israel was was being oppressed. They had a uh, invader that had come in and it had conquered them, and it really kind of just you know stopped everything in its tracks. So Deborah's looking back, and she says, "In the day of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. The travelers kept to the byways. The villagers, the villagers ceased." In Israel, they ceased to be until I arose. What Deborah's saying is she looked around and she noticed that oppression had had this unbelievably powerful impact in people's lives. It it sucked all the life out of the nation. And anytime a godless philosophy leads the way, anytime there is a notion of life that takes God out of the process, somebody is going to get hurt. Someone is going to be oppressed. Someone is going to be taken advantage of. Someone is going to be robbed. Someone is going to be attacked. Someone is going to be belittled. Someone is going to be marginalized. Because when you take God out of the equation, that's what's left for humanity. Yes, we can do something nice every once in a while. But in the depths of our hearts, when God's out of the equation, we are individually and collectively a selfish people. And so nations try to invade and conquer other nations and individuals try to take advantage of other individuals and communities can ignore those who most need their help and gladly go on their way because their house is just fine. When you take God out of the equation, that's the picture of humanity. It is a self-centered life. It's me first, it's me second, and it's me third. You're not even on the radar screen. I might be polite. And add you in every once in a while, but only when I'm certain that I'm taken care of. And so we have, in, in Deborah's day, this, this uh, oppression that's taking place. And so the people who, who rightly live in the land and should be okay, they're running for cover because they're scared for their own well-being. So I was trying to think this week of a picture that I could paint that would really show the, the obsession we have with, with, with self, uh, you know, taking care of myself and getting what I want. Uh, and I came back to this. Watch the screen. Now for our beloved holiday tradition. Hey, Jimmy Kimmel, I told my kids I ate all their Halloween candy.
1: Last night I ate all your candy. Why? Because it was good. You ruined my life! Yeah, we ate it all while you were
0: sleeping. No! Oh, man! I'm going to eat it all. I'm going to eat it all. Jimmy Kimmel said I should eat all your candy. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna eat it all. Yeah. I'm gonna eat it. Okay. This is for me.
1: Oh, let's see. Jimmy Kimmel said I should eat this too. Okay. Okay. I got you. All of it. All of it. Every single bite. Yeah. You must have a bellyache. <laughs> I got hungry last night. Eat an apple. Oh. <laughs> Daddy and I ate all of your candy.
0: <laughs> People are going. I, no, this isn't going to be my kids, is it? <laughs> all right. There, there's a picture of the human heart, and as children. Uh, we, We don't know at that stage of our lives how to be polite about those feelings, right? But the truth is, is those feelings that you just saw are in my heart every day and in your heart every day. And apart from the grace of God, nothing will change that. The need within our community, the need within your heart and my heart for the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform us so that we gladly say along with Jesus, we understand that the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And we say, that's how we want to live. That only comes through the power of God, and so there's a, there's a model of leadership, but, the, but there's also a need uh, for us. Uh, to Kirkwood Saint Louis needs a a Christ centered, selfless group of disciples who are following faithfully their God. Thirdly, this this uh, pa- this passage shows not only the model and the need, but it also shows the emotional connection. It shows it shows the heart. And Deborah uh, takes a moment for self reflection. And she thinks about her leadership, and, and she was the person that, that made all of this happen. She was, she was leading uh, everything in this encounter with the enemy. And she says this, i Deborah arose as a mother in Israel. What a great picture of leadership. Think if every, every leader, if every disciple of Jesus saw themselves as, as in the role of, of a mother, uh, nurturing and caring. Firm when when she needs to be speaking the truth directly when she needs to, but doing so because she wants the best for her children. She wants her children to to know and to love and to follow God, and it's this love of God that's transforming us to love God not only uh, by by our worship of Him but also in our service to others. And Deborah's model here of just simply saying, "I was a, I was a mother uh, to Israel," sets a tone that says. I want to care for, I want to nurture, I want to grow up people to follow God. Uh, I've said this before, Catherine Shaw, who works with a homeless in our congregation, uh, she gave me a great piece of advice one time because I always wondered, I, and I've said this before, so a lot of you will remember this, you know, when I pass somebody holding a sign on the side of the street, I'm not quite sure what to do. And Catherine said one day, she said, buy the sign. I'm like, buy the sign, why would I buy the sign? Because they made that sign and that was their work. And and you dignify them by buying their sign. And then you give them a chance to do more work by going and making another sign. I thought that is absolutely brilliant. And I I got an email this week, I received an email or text, I can't remember which because I'm an electronic genius, Uh, but it was from one of our families at Green Tree, and they're out on the West Coast uh, this week visiting some folks, and they were in Portland, and the picture they had was the mom and the dad standing in the background, and the two children standing in front of them, and they had a sign that said, anything you can give will help, and it was on a piece of broken broken cardboard, right? And the, the caption under the bottom said, look what we got to do. How cool is that? There's the, there's the heart of the mother, so to speak, being passed down to the next generation. Collectively and individually, that's what God's calling us to at Green Tree. God's calling us. And if anybody gives themselves away, for kids, it's moms, right? It's not dads. I remember when when we were, now I'm going to give you, you younger dads a piece of advice here, okay? Here's something never to say in your house. Why don't you go out and I'll babysit the kids, right? <laughs> Hey, I didn't even see you sitting there this morning, Catherine. If you want to know about more about the homeless and work with them, Catherine's sitting right there. Um, they're your children, right? Babysitters are people that come in from the outside, right? You're not babysitting your children. You're being a responsible father, right? So just trust me, don't ever say that again. Honey, I'll watch the children that I help bring into the world, and you go out and you have a nice time. That would be, ladies, would that be a little more appreciated? Okay, thank you very much. Now that's the heart that this church needs. That's the heart that I need. It's the heart that you need to have. The challenges are, seem insurmountable in our community. That this, this community would actually undergo a spiritual renaissance because we have the, the heart of a mother who longs for people to be cared for and to be nurtured. God is a generous God. Moms are are generous people. The cross is a picture of God's generosity that knows no boundaries and no limitations. We need to pray that God would give us this type of heart. And then Deborah begins to celebrate the response of the people around her. So, Deborah doesn't just take the glory for herself. She, she gives the glory to God, but she also begins to, to remember that there are those who came along and served alongside her. In verses 13 through 15, she says this Then down marched the remnant of the noble. Remnant's a smaller, a smaller group. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. They were outnumbered about, about 40,000 to 10,000. That was kind of, there were about 10,000 Israelites and about 40,000 of the enemy. From Ephraim, now she's going to start to name some of the tribes of Israel. From Ephraim, their route, they marched down into the valley. Following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Makar, they marched down the, uh, the commanders. And from Zebulun and those who bear the lieutenant staff, the princes of Issachar came with Deborah. And Issachar, faithful to Barak, who was the general that was working with Deborah. Into the valley, they rushed at his heels. There's some number of people of God who will respond in faithfulness if we follow this pathway of fearless generosity, if we, if we set a challenge before ourselves to do all that we can so that the best, the, the most of our resources can be used to build God's kingdom in people's lives, others will follow. People will be inspired by that. We will, we, we will be inspired by one another and the work that God's doing in our heart as we respond in faithfulness. So Hudson Taylor almost had this breakdown. Remember the the quote I read for you at the beginning. Uh, And in 1865, when he had been a missionary in China for about, uh, probably about 15 or 16 years, uh, he had 21 other people that had been inspired by his leadership and had come along to join him. By 1884, along with those original 21, 76 new missionaries came along and began to join him in his work in China Inland Mission. Beyond that, roughly 100 people. Three years later, by 18, 1887, there were another 102 people that had gotten the vision, had seen Hudson Taylor's heart for the lost, and had called by God to join in the mission. If we will follow God, he will not only empower us and encourage us to the ends that he has for us, but he'll bring others alongside us to join us in this uh, journey that we take to share the gospel with our community. And so Deborah celebrates, but I also said she was honest and, and she calls some other things out and And her, and her celebration of those uh, tribes that were faithful turned for a minute because moms are really good at this, right? Moms are good at saying, wasn't that good? But now we need to talk, <laughs> all right? We're not quite where we need to be. And I'm going to kind of, you know, we need to just call that out and have a conversation about that. And Deborah does the same thing. There are some people that that respond in faith, but there are others who sit idly by, either frozen by fear or commitment to self-preservation. And so Deborah asks some rhetorical questions after the fact. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds uh, to hear the whistling of the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben there were great searchings Of the heart. You go on to the next slide if you would. Thanks. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan. Why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. So Deborah quickly says, "You know, there are going to be those that simply won't follow. They may be able to actually in in Israel's day they they enjoyed the fruit of the work of everyone else." But, but fast forward, you know, in your life or my life, you know, five years from now, let's say that, that God blesses us, and somehow in that amount of time, we're actually able to pay off all of our debt, and, and you're here, and we're celebrating, and worshiping, and you didn't lift a finger to help. How do you feel at that moment? How do I feel when I watch people celebrate, and I think about the sacrifice, and the effort, and the energy that was put in, and now I get to enjoy the fruit of that, but I actually was disinterested. I was actually disengaged. I don't want to be in that place personally. And Deborah calls it out honestly and says, there are some that just simply sat by and let others do the lifting. You you and I may be sitting here saying, I'm sure there's some folks at Green Tree that can get most of this done. And boy, I sure hope that God moves in their hearts to do that, right? That's like the guy sitting by the sea and say, we're just going to stay here and let others do the work. I may not be able to give as much as others, but that isn't the point. The point is that I can get involved. I can be part of God reaching this community for the gospel if I would trust him in faith in this notion of, of fearless and radical generosity. We will respond. The question is, how? But then I want us to, to, to note to in my fifth observation is there are times when individually you have an opportunity. There are times when, you know, the, the sermon kind of comes at you, not because Tom figured it out, but because God's speaking to you. And there's another woman in this story, and I want to read a couple of verses of her because she had a unique opportunity that nobody else in Israel had, and Deborah calls her out for special recognition. She says, most blessed of women be JL, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Of 10 dwelling women, so this is a woman who was nomadic. They, they just moved around. They followed the flocks around, right? So she's a nomad. She's part of the nation of Israel, however. She's most blessed. He, and now we're talking about the enemy general, okay, who they, the, the battle is not going well, and he's run away. His name is Sisera. You're going to see his name in just a minute. And he's come to her, and he said, I need a hiding place. And he, probably the way he said it was, if you don't hide me, when this is all said and done, I'm gonna come back here and I'm gonna slaughter your entire family, right? He didn't ask politely. This is one of the chief oppressors of his day. So I'm sure he said to her with threats, if you don't hide me and stand outside this tent and tell people you haven't seen me, I'm gonna come back and, and, and I'm gonna kill everybody you know and love, okay? So he, he asked her for water, she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She set her hand to the tent peg, and her right hand to the workman's mallet. And then let's see what she does. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet he sank. He fell. When he sank, there he fell, dead. Right? Jail gets to have all the fun in this story. It's just amazing, right? So this guy comes and he threatens her. And he says, you better look out for me. Now, give me some water because I'm thirsty. And she says, why don't you have a nice warm bowl of milk, right? Get you a little sleepy, right? And, here, and here's some curds. I, you, you look famished. Let me really take care of you. Now, you go in and you lay down. You have a nice, long nap, right? And he did, right? And then when he fell asleep, she took a pet tent peg and she she drove it through his head and and, and stuck his head to the ground, Right? She had the opportunity to do what nobody else had in that particular moment. But she had to trust God. Because what if the hammer slipped? What, what if in that moment that, that, that the mallet missed its mark and he woke up, he'd probably literally right there strangle her to death. And yet she said, this is my moment. This is my chance. I'm going to follow God. I want you to, to watch the screen in just a second. Uh, this, is, this is not anybody with a mallet and a tent peg. But this is a young woman in our church who, who had something she wanted to do and was faced with a choice, and she, and she chose to take the harder pathway, and she chose to do something that was really pretty sacrificial for somebody her age, and I think that's a great example for us. So watch the screen if you would.
1: The family we served was very happy for everything that we're doing, Even though it was just a small house, they were overjoyed that we were even doing anything for them because they used to live under like a cardboard roof. I really enjoy seeing the family so happy for everything that we've done, especially when we give them the key to their house and we see them crying because it's so amazing. The kids love it. They're running and playing with all their new toys. All the other people on our team were very nice we all were wanting to do the same thing to serve God and to help the families and we all had a lot of fun together I really enjoyed working with the family and it showed them that God does care for them and he just has different ways of showing it he may use people like us to show his love it made me feel so good and I wanted to have that feeling again and go back a second my dad told me I could go back a second year if I saved up half the cost. Over the next eight months, I did that by babysitting for other families. When I was at the mall with my friends and they were all buying Starbucks, I, wa- I really wanted to get some too. and But I kept thinking about the family and how happy a new house would make them, and I held back and I did not drink nearly as much Frappuccinos as I would have and I did not buy as much clothes and I really never stopped wanting to go back. I was very excited when my dad told me I had raised enough money. I didn't exactly think I was gonna get there because my only job was babysitting, but I was overjoyed to know that I could go back and help again. The second time going through it was so much more meaningful because I put my own money into it. I just I enjoyed it so much more because I didn't just go because I was asked to. I actually wanted to go back. And now that I've been to Homes of Hope two times, I really loved it, and I would still love to go back, but now I'm saving my money to go to Nicaragua this summer and help more people. I'm aware that there are people out there that don't, have as much as us and they have very little and I'm now more grateful for everything that I have and I don't just take everything for granted. It just feels good that God shows his love for others through people like me and it's really neat to be a part of that.
0: It's so cool that as, as Grace progressed throughout the year she she. Grew in God's heart that she wanted to go do that. She wanted. She was excited. She was overjoyed to use her resources in that way. And every one of us has that kind of opportunity in front of us as part of the Green Tree family to be used by God to change people's lives. Which brings me to the to the the sixth and final um, uh, point in in this observation, this text. It's the very end of the and uh, the very last. Uh, verse of the uh, of the text. It says this, uh, so may all of your enemies perish. Compare, you know, Lord, we're looking at what you did. May all your enemies end up that way. But your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. The result was this, that God saved, that God redeemed, that God had mercy, and that God changed the course of the nation of Israel for the next 40 years. They, they worshipped and they, and they followed God by, uh, by 1900, uh, the year 1900, there were literally thousands of missionaries working for China Inland Mission reaching millions of people in the country of China because one guy decided in, in 1853 that that was God's calling in his life and he wanted to share that with others. God is moving today. There's no question about that. God is growing his kingdom today all over this world, but in our community. And he's calling us to trust him. He's calling us to follow him. He's calling us to lives of of fearless, radical generosity, but it isn't simple. And it certainly isn't easy. Uh, to make this kind of commitment, to actually say we want to put ourselves in a place where, where the where the vast majority of our recesses are going to care for people and love people and and invite, invest in them for the kingdom of God and for his gospel, it will demand a significant commitment on our part. It will be a challenge to our faith, and that 's really the question we asked this morning i so said we're going we 're going to celebrate at the end we 're we are going 're going to sing a, several more songs because i mean the the last time there were microphones like this was the last time the Cubs won the World Series. You could say until last week, congratulations. Um, but I don't want it to be 100 years before God really uses Green Tree to, to make a difference. I want it to be now. I think, I think we all do, and, and that is our prayer, that we would trust God. Not sit on the sidelines, but that we would follow Him. That we would see Him change our lives and change the world around us. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the song of Deborah. We just looked at a a very small portion of it. But I thank you that when the dust settled and the battle had been won, she wasn't full of pride or arrogance. She was just filled with joy and thankfulness for what you had done. Father, I also thank you that when she saw the need, that she saw herself as someone that you could use to meet that need. Father, I pray that we would see ourselves in the same way. I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied. I pray that we wouldn't be complacent. But rather that we would see that, that, that this is just one of, the, one of the preliminary steps you're taking at Green Tree Community Church to transform this community through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray for us for the next three Sundays as we consider this notion of fearless generosity, that you would be at work in our hearts and our minds to the end that you would be glorified, that your will would be done, and that your people gathered in this place would have a deeper and richer faith than you, that all of our hearts would reflect your heart. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.